Hello, Bermuda. Welcome to Best Health, presented by the Royal Gazette and RG Megs. This is your go-to health podcast, connecting you with Bermuda's finest in health and wellness. A big shout out to our sponsor for this episode, the Lindos Group of Companies. Why go anyplace else? Now let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Best Health Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Astwood, and today we have a truly enlightening and timely conversation lined up for you. October is ADHD Awareness Month, and in honor of this important occasion, we've invited an incredible guest to help us unravel the complexities of ADHD. She's a chartered psychologist, chartered neuroscientist with a wealth of experience in understanding the profound connection between the mind and behavior. As the owner of Sainu, a renowned mental health practice here in Bermuda, she's been at the forefront of transforming lives through her expertise in psychology, neuroscience, neuropsychiatry, and general mental health services. Her professional journey has taken her from the bustling hospitals of the UK to diverse settings in Bermuda. And today, she's here to shed light on ADHD in ways you may never have heard before. So without further ado, Please join me in welcoming the brilliant Dr. Adrian Berkeley to the show. Thank you, thank you. Gosh, you made me sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So the pleasure's all ours. Uh, let's dive right into this important conversation okay. about ADHD, and we'll break down the myths, the facts, everything in between. But before we do that, mm-hmm. could you share a little bit about your background and your passion for understanding how the brain works? Like, where did that come from? Oh, my gosh. Um <sighs> Gosh, where did it start? To be honest, when I was 12, I was diagnosed with a brain infection and I almost passed away three times in the space of six months. And from that point, my behavior really, really changed because it was an infection in my brain. And since then, I've kind of always been interested, okay, what can happen if if your brain is impacted? So from there, I kind of just finished school, followed the path, and it, it led me here, to be honest. Wow. Wow. What a journey to overcome. Like, I can imagine that being quite scary for your family and, oh, my goodness. Um, Well, we appreciate you and what you do for Bermuda. Um, Yes. So today's topic, although I know we could probably talk about so many different aspects of mental health, Mm -hmm. we're going to narrow in on ADHD. So let's tell our audience that may not know what is ADHD and how is it diagnosed? So ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, is a medical condition that affects behavior and cognition. That's pretty the the short and sweet of it, of it all. And there are different types. So you have uh, inattentive, you have hyperactive, and you have impulsive. So you can present with one of those subtypes or a combination of them all. So with hyperactivity, you know, you're a little bit more restless. You can't really... um, focus or sit still um, with inattention. Um, you have difficulties with concentrating, focusing on tasks. With impulsion, you're likely to be disruptive with your behavior, um, quickly to uh, interact before you think. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know it has like a lot of different characteristics, but yeah, to kind of sum it up, of course. Pretty much. And how yeah. it's diagnosed is basically through multidisciplinary history. So we're looking at your academic performance, your home life performance. We're looking at your medical diagnoses. So you'd probably meet with your GP. You may end up meeting with a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So it's not just, oh, I'm experiencing this symptom. This is what you have. It, it definitely takes 
a team of people um, to sort of diagnose you with the condition. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you hear a lot of people who mm-hmm. will say things like, oh, you know, I, I'm acting really ADHD today. Like, I, yes. I'm having trouble focusing, you know, and yes. I, I'm sure everybody has experience symptoms mm-hmm. similar at some point yes. but um you know from my understanding those with ADHD mm-hmm. experience those pretty much all the time yes. right rather than yes. sometimes yes um so with that being said from a neuroscience perspective mm-hmm. what's actually happening in the brain of someone with ADHD okay I don't want to go too heavy <laughs> <to the> science <laughs> lesson. it interests me but it will bore others yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> but short and sweet there are different brain regions in the brain that are different to those who are neurotypical. So you have the frontal cortex, the basal ganglia, and the limbic system. And these are really important for emotion, motor skills, behavior, planning, attention, all those really core skills that you see people have difficulties and challenges with in ADHD. So the research kind of shows us that there are differences in structure and brain chemicals. Um, so. It's, it's not always 100%, just like a fingerprint, everyone's brain is different. So we can't say for certainty this is exactly what leads to ADHD, but we do find that in those sort of three major areas of the brain, there are some differences, sorry, with brain chemistry. Okay, and yeah. you mentioned neurotypical. So mm-hmm. neurotypical is, from my understanding, someone who does not have yes. like these complications, yes. right? Because it'd yes. be called neurodivergence, right? Yes. Although I will say, to be honest, I feel like we all fit on the scale of neurodiversity, um, which leads back to kind of what you said earlier, where everyone's sort of saying, oh, yes, I have anxiety or I have ADHD. or It's because we all fall on that, that, that scale. We all experience similarities to some of these diagnoses. Um, so that these individuals experience it every day. It's, it's literally how their brain functions. But I feel like we all fit on this neurodiversity scale. Right. So it's just like more of like a big, broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to just like black and white. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, beyond the neuroscientific perspective, mm-hmm. although I do love the science nerd talk, I'm, I'm a science <laughs> fan myself. <laughs> how does ADHD impact an individual's psychological well-being in daily life? Like how would this affect the everyday person? In every way. So again... The brain, I am biased, but it's, it's <laughs> literally everything. It, it is. It, it's everything. So <laughs> we're looking at your behaviors interpersonally. We're looking at your emotions interpersonally. We're looking at your interactions with work colleagues, uh, relationships, your friendships, the ability to, to make it to events in time. It literally impacts every as- aspect of someone's life. It is not just it impacts someone's ability to perform in in school or um, their ability to attend meetings on time. It's literally every single aspect of one's life, everything, all the way down to mood as well, everything. So mood, mood I've I've definitely heard, is like a big um, impact, especially, you know, when it comes to relationships and and in work and everything. Um, The term, like, emotional dysregulation comes Mm -hmm. to mind. Would you be able to touch on that, like what that might feel like for someone with ADHD? It's, again, it's it's hard to say, to be honest, but with someone with ADHD, for example, if they are, uh, they present with the impulsive subtype, um, they may experience more intense emotional reactions than, say, you and I would. Um, It's not to say there's anything wrong with that, but they, they just may experience it a bit more. 
Um, so that's going to impact how they present and how they relate to other people and how other people perceive them and take them in. You know, usually with that sort of subtype, they seem, um, they're sort of labeled as disruptive or troublemakers or quick to anger. Yes. Um, when in reality, it's, it's difficulties regulating that emotion. And it kind of goes back to that, that brain system, the limbic system, and the, the frontal uh, lobe of the brain having different brain chemicals that help you to control that behavior and those outbursts right yeah. so almost like how a like a toddler would be i mean in a way where they have like you know really impulsive yeah. emotions and, yes. and um you know extreme reactions to things i would i mean that's kind of what it sounds like yeah obviously, you know i mean obviously you have more tools to manage it when absolutely. you're older <laughs> i would absolutely, hope so absolutely <laughs> absolutely but it's it's more of that e quick emotional response versus thinking about how you would respond yeah yeah absolutely and with like the inattentive type mm -hmm. um i know i've heard you know issues with um people in relationships with those with adhd um mm -hmm you know, maybe they come off as like they're ignoring or not mm -hmm. paying attention or being rude when really like they they didn't hear you or they're so focused on something else. It's that exactly it. They're not in the same room as you really. It's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's understanding how their brain functions and works. And it, it's different to you, but it doesn't make them less than or that they don't care for, in your example, that they're not listening to you or they're not interested in you. It's a brain difference. Right. And it's got to be so tough to be, you know, because you're, you're probably perceived again as, you know, maybe dramatic yes. or you say like too much yes. or rude or, or whatever in or every world. When e exactly. Yeah. When really, you know, it's just an internal struggle that it, it's hard 100%. to name. And um, yeah, like with that being said, I guess this kind of piggybacks onto my next question. What are some common misconceptions around ADHD? Oh gosh, there's a ton. I find, especially when we come to the younger younger kids, people call them lazy or um, they're not easily motivated. So they're just lazy and they're not putting in enough effort. Or a big misconception is that people thinking that people with ADHD are not intelligent. It has nothing to do with intelligence whatsoever. Um, that they are, like you said, really, really sensitive, over dramatic. Um, that they don't experience the way that things that we perceive or experience. So it, there's a lot of misinformation and sort of targeting people to be less than. Um, it's a brain difference. It's just like our, our fingerprints. Some of us have whirls, some of us have loops. Yeah. So it doesn't mean we don't have fingers or the ability to touch things. It just means we're different. Right. And why do you think, like, so these misconceptions, mm -hmm. I was going to say, why do you think they exist? Um, you know, and to piggyback on that, like, just saying, like, do you think the the structure of, you know, speaking of children, like, the mm -hmm. school systems, like, play a role in this that kind of highlights it more? Like, is it, are they more, or were they more set up for neurotypical students or... Absolutely. I think as the years we've, we've learned so much more and we've progressed, we have become more open to mental health and brain health in general. It, they were not things that were openly discussed. It was still taboo. I remember, I don't think I'm that old, but for <laughs> me growing up, you know, if you heard someone at ADHD, it was like, oh gosh, there's something's wrong with them. They're a little yeah. slow or, you know, oh, you know, they're, they're in the special class. Yeah. It was a lot of stigma toward it. Yeah. So, that culture was present and 
slightly still is, I, I will confess, but we've gotten so much better in being able to talk about it and just be like, okay, it's it's not a it's not a deficit. It's not a it's not this scary, icky, ooh, you have ADHD. Yeah. It's just like you have anxiety or you have depression or you have OCD or anything else. Men- mental health is brain health. So I think when we start looking at things as a medical condition, then yeah. people are a lot more willing to have that conversation versus oh, you have ADHD or you have mental health. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like, let me stay away from you. Absolutely. But we, I definitely believe we have come very, very far. I definitely think the school systems are a lot more open. They they can, the, I would say the educators are really good at picking up when things are not 100% correct. I do feel there are some parents who are still a bit hesitant, but that comes from a lack of education and understanding. Because, again, most of it is rooted in, oh, my child is ADHD, something's wrong with them. Um, what did I do? Or does this mean they're not intelligent? Does this mean they don't have the skills? They're not going to be able to succeed in life. It's a lot of fear in that. So just having a conversation and understanding, it's just a brain difference. That's it. Right. That's it. So like, how can I help them thrive in a different way? Yes. You know, how can they best learn? How can they That's set up it. their day in a different type of way? That's right? literally it. Yes. Yeah. So it's like you can thrive the same, but, you know, they may need to work in, you know, little sprints and have bigger breaks instead of, you know, sitting in a classroom for eight hours. And to be honest, that's how we all should be learning anyway. But but that is exactly, it's just as simple as that. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, I just, yeah, you kind of look back and you wish that we'd had this years ago like this awareness but it is so positive that we're moving in this way a hundred percent um you know i know teachers in the system and i and i heard one um you know mention that she has fidget spinners for the kids in her class who struggle and some of them are allowed to stand at the back of the class when they need to get up and have a wiggle break and that's yeah i i think that is so important and i applaud those those educators and and those people who are doing things like that it's i understand it is i can imagine having 30 plus kids in a classroom and the energy and you know having inattentive or a combination or hyperactive like there's there's a lot it is a lot um but really having that compassion to know okay this is this is their brain they're not trying to be difficult they decide to wake up this morning and be like you know what i'm just going to cause complete chaos today (laughs) um they're not doing that so having having those supports really does make a difference and it helps it helps to show not just the person experiencing the symptoms but the entire class just using that as the example, that it's okay that you can have these sort of breaks. You can have, you can have fidget spinners and things to help calm people down and stuff like that. Like that's okay, yeah. and it doesn't mean they're they're awkward or different in terms of ugh, you know, it's yeah. it's okay. Yeah, we're different. Absolutely, and that's that's okay. We're supposed to be different. Exactly right. It'd be boring if we're all the same. Exactly. <laughs> no, I imagine it would make the like the teacher's life a lot easier as well having those tools you know rather than feeling so frustrated like oh you know I've I've tried everything I can't get through to this child or you know they just keep I don't want to keep punishing them for this or whatever it is but exactly you know to make the child's life easier as well as as the teacher 100% yes um so we've been speaking about children Mm -hmm. um so my question my next question is Mm -hmm. does ADHD present differently in adults so yes so again thinking about our our brains no one's brain is exactly alike so people um 
male, female, adult, or child can experience the same symptoms but can experience them very differently. So it looks different for every person. But typically for adults, they tend to present more in terms of the hyperactive bra bracket. So a little bit more restless, um, tends to overthink or ruminate a lot, the inability to sort of sit still. That is what we tend to see primarily in adults, but again, it can be different. Right. Um, and same way with, with boys, uh, male and female, sorry. Um, okay, that was my next question, yeah. was if the differ between male and female, yeah. so that's great. Yeah. You do tend to find males to be a, a lot more hyperactive mm -hmm. and then females to be more inattentive. Interesting. Yeah, that, so that's kind of a trend, but it's not for certain because, like I said, everyone's Everyone brain is different. It's, a, it's literally like a fingerprint. So right. the same two people can have the exact same um, ADHD diagnosis and subtype, but show it very differently, which is why it's so important when you have a diagnosis that you're getting it from the GP, your history, how they are at home, the education as well. Yeah. Because you can easily just say, oh, you have this, but in reality, you don't. Right, absolutely. Rather than just thinking like one symptom yeah. and hey, like I, I probably have this. Yeah. You know, it's a whole host of them, of course. Exactly. Um, and I did hear, and I, I was going to ask, like regarding the hyperactivity, mm. that with females, um, and I'm sure with males as well, that mm. the hyperactivity can present as like ruminating thoughts in your mind, like more so in the brain. Yes. Like, so all that activity is happening. Yes. Like an internal dialogue nonstop. All the time. Yes. Overthinking, ruminating, just a bunch of what if thoughts are catastrophizing that sort of hamster on a wheel thought processing. Yeah. Yes. All right. Which also yeah. can happen to most of us and does happen to most of us anyway. Right. If anyone's like anxious or, or experiencing yeah. any decline in mental health, of yeah. course. Right. Um, and again, sort of just segueing back, which is why it's so important to have a, a history in terms of diagnosis. Because yeah. I do find, just going off on a tangent a bit, I call them glitter yeah. words. So right yeah. now in social media, there are a lot of glitter words to mental health and brain health in general. Yeah. Um, and it's even research coming out, particularly with, and I'm a big TikTok user, love TikTok. I, <laughs> TikTok is so fun. It's great. <laughs> I actually love it. I speak fluent TikTok to my clients. I love um, it. <laughs> so, but you do find more and more that a lot of people are diagnosing themselves, particularly women with ADHD. Um, and that's because it's becoming this very glitter, like, oh my gosh, you know, like, Yes, I have ADHD too. And at some point, you're kind of watching these things. And you're like, well, maybe I have it too. And it's like, no, we all, again, going back to that, that idea of we're all on that neurodiversity scale, we all experience similar things, but it does not necessarily mean you have ADHD. And it, it, I do find that sort of glitter thing that's happening now is very, can be very harmful. It's, it's similar to some of the patients that I have that experience anxiety. And so everyone's like, oh, yes, like, you know, I got anxiety too. And then for someone who has a clinical diagnosis, it's like, it, it's almost invalidating and dismissive because what they go through is, is not to say that person's feelings is, is not to be heard or anything, but it, we have to be very careful because people with clinical diagnosis, it's like, oh, okay. Right. right. I struggled literally to get out of bed this morning, but you feel but now nervous. now everybody on TikTok also has <laughs> yeah. it, right? Yeah. There's, there's a difference between nervous or just the difference between being distracted or not feeling focused or anything, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have ADHD. That's interesting. That's yeah. good to know. You find it a lot on, on not just TikTok, but social media in Absolutely. general, especially I've this day and age. I've definitely seen it. Yeah. yeah. You know, at one point, I was like, yeah, maybe... 
maybe I do too. <laughs> no, no, I don't. But it's easy to be like, and I, I do find a lot of people who come to me, they're like, so I think I have this. And I'm like, why do you think you have this? They're like, TikTok told me. I'm like, that's great. Um, but it could also be other things. Let's check that out first. I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, you know, TikTok can be so helpful in so many ways, yeah. but it, it definitely can send you down a rabbit hole of 100%. certain things, right? Like, For sure. I don't know. I think recently I've been on... Um, capybara tiktok i keep seeing dancing <laughs> videos of these little like capybaras which are actually really cool animals they are <laughs> you know it's just like this thing where you're just like what am i watching you know it's like for, suddenly i'm on this and then i'm on some murder mystery and i'm like i shouldn't be watching this before bed or whatever you know and i love it i, love it. I can't help it <laughs> it's like i can't look away um but with that being said like how mm. many like what percentage of say the population mm. I don't know what to say the world but let's just say like mm-hmm. you know maybe the western hemisphere or something mm-hmm. what percentage of people would actually be impacted or have a clinical diagnosis of ADHD that is you know that, number? that is hard to say yeah um particularly in Bermuda there's, there's limited research in the world there's limited research yeah. partly because again of the stigma a lot of people don't want to come forward and be like oh I have this so it's really hard to get those numbers but ugh, I mean, one in four people have a mental health condition. I think that is wow. that that number is very low. I think that's just based on what we have because we need people to come forward for clinical yeah. research. So it's actually, at least from from what I see, a lot higher. I brain yeah. health is the same thing. It would be a lot higher, yeah. but it's hard to give it that number. Right. But I like I said, most of us scrap that. All of us fit on that neurodiversity scale. It's just yeah. where do we fall? Where on the scale? So, again, I, I want to normalize it because most people do have it, to be fair, yeah. um, or, or fit on that neurodiversity scale. But it's hard to give a number because we just don't have the data. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, this, like, say we're making strides yeah. and making more awareness of mental health. I mean, that's why we're having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I'm so passionate about it. Um you know, I truly believe, like, you know, physical health is important, but your mental yes. health, when it's in good condition, can can greatly impact your physical health, it right? Does. It's it's an umbrella effect or it, a domino effect. Yes, mind and bro- body is not separate. And how yeah. I get people to think about it, it's like when you're nervous, you get butterflies. That's mind and body. Yes. You know, when you're embarrassed, your cheeks flush. That's mind yeah. and body. So we have this thing where we just focus on the body, yeah. And we completely ignore the mind. And now it's great. We're kind of, we're leaning toward the mind and mental health. And then brain health kind of gets separate. Mind and the brain, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the, it's the same thing. I view it like a computer. Like the mind, the psychology is the uh, software. And the neuroscience is the hardware. It's the actual computer itself. Absolutely. So you, you can't have one without the other. No. And you can't have the body without the brain. No, definitely. So if we not. could just treat it together, <laughs> things would be so much better. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It's said I'm so passionate about it because I mean you're with, you're with your brain, twenty four seven. I mean, yeah. even when you're sleeping. Exactly. And, you know, it's the taking care of your mind and working on your mindset mm-hmm. is like the difference between carrying around a bully with you all day or a best friend and a cheerleader right I mean that's kind of like a generalization but literally though you know as a health and fitness coach myself I do a like have a huge um with my clients I should say we really focus a lot on mindset so it's not just super important exactly huge right it's like behavior change in general like hey I just want to don't just throw this meal plan at someone it's like 
hey, what are your values? Like, is this thing that you're doing actually aligning with your values? Exactly. And, and you know, do you believe you can change? And That's exactly it. It's yeah. a huge part of that is mental. So I, that's why I always applaud you because you're, you're one of the few people who I think really highlight that, which is necessary for change. So it's like, oh, you get it. Yeah. I appreciate I it. Say, I, lo- I love following <laughs> you too. <laughs> um, so what are the current best practices for managing ADHD? So maybe we can start with, you mm-hmm. know, medication, like that mm-hmm. side of things, medication supplements, and then from there maybe more lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have a few to share. No, of course. So <laughs> yes. like I said, um, ADHD is a multidisciplinary diagnosis. So it presents in different ways. So you have to treat it in different ways. So yes, of course we have medication. Mm -hmm. Um, Medication is not always the immediate go-to, at least not for for me. Um, It can be incredibly helpful. There are lots of people who are on medication who are doing fantastic, and there are a lot of people without medication. So it is one area of treatment. It's not the be-all, end-all. Um, and to be honest, best, best practice is combining behavioral intervention with medication. So this is the huge part. Behavioral intervention, you literally can help and create the skills for your child or adult to succeed. So again, if we're thinking about being um, hyperactive with restlessness, sort of like what you said with your your teacher friends, with the fidget spinners and things like that, yeah. learning how to manage their behaviors, learning how to regulate their emotions with coping skills, um, sleep. Sleep is a huge, huge, huge part in terms of neurodiversity, which means it's incredibly important for managing ADHD. So if we can regulate the behavior change and help with the sleep, then we're going to help with your brain function, and we're gonna help with your ADHD diagnosis. So the there is, it doesn't necessarily have to be a psychologist, but a specialist in ADHD and behavioral intervention. There you go, start there. Yeah. Start there, literally there's so many different tips um, and tools that you can do before trying medication. Yep. Because your brain has the ability to adapt and change and adjust. So we can strengthen those path- pathways and, and make create change, and you see that all the time. It's, it's doable. It doesn't just have to be medication. And there, there are other routes as well. I know that um, we're coming out with a program to help develop cognitive skills. Again, that the brain is able to grow and strengthen and develop. So we're coming up with a program where we'll be targeting 43 cognitive skills and building that, which is wow. really great for uh, helping with attention and focus and problem solving and organization, all the areas that you see um, – people who have ADHD have cognitive challenges. So there are different ways that you can help um, in addition to medication. I know some people have some reservations about medication. There's nothing wrong with it. It's also not the be-all, end-all. There are other strategies to try first. And how I work, that's usually what I do first. And if it works, fantastic. If we need medication, fantastic. Okay, we'll do that too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think that's great. So it's, you know, it's like obviously the medication is there. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily solve the problem if you don't have tools in your toolbox. Exactly. Yeah. A, a huge part of ADHD is the behavioral thing. So yeah. if you can target the behavioral stuff and the emotional stuff, yeah, fantastic. It will have a domino effect. If you can target some of the cognitive stuff, fantastic. It's going to have a domino effect. Yeah. So there, there are different ways to go about it for sure. Absolutely. And like as an adult, um, you know, maybe creating a, 
environment that's supportive for you. You know, the way you're understanding how your brain works and and like just making your life easier by, you know, maybe not forcing yourself to do something at 3 p.m. when your energy crashes or, you know, just (laughs) make life easier. Speaking of something, whatever it is, you know, knowing when when you work the most, like when you work your best and maybe timing meetings around that time or guess just getting to know yourself right a hundred percent and and like I said it's it's simple things like I said um sleep is really 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 important so just managing your sleep learning coping skills to help you to fall asleep or stay asleep I know that can be really hard if someone is quite hyperactive you know if your mind is going all the time so there are different tools so for example, if you ha- uh, typically we have our bedrooms, and I call it an everything space because we do everything in there, right? So it's an everything space. Yeah, it's a TikTok scrolling space. Yeah, right? it's it's an everything space. We we eat, we sleep, we like. But if for someone um, who's who is neurodiverse, you could during the day make turn the bed. I know some, I have some kids who turn their bed into like a little couch area. And then at nighttime they have their blackout curtains and they turn the bed back into a bed. So their brain register it's a sleep space now. Oh, so like then that. it turns into a sleep. So their brain automatically switches from that in, everything space environment to the sleep space environment. And they're able to sort of calm their brain down. So there's little tips and tricks like that that changes the behavior that you can implement to manage the diagnosis. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's, just, it's just learning what works best for the individual. Absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned sleep. I mean, I this is something I, I speak with my clients yeah. about all the time. You know, it's like, hey, I really struggled to, you know, stick to my health behaviors today. And it's like, we, we clock sleep hours. It's yeah. part of what we track. And I'm Good. like, hey, well, I noticed, like, you've been rating your sleep, like, a, you know, two out of 10 this week. So your brain can't really do its job exactly. and make it making you actually do the thing like exactly. you're sleep is so important you know, so like how many hours would you say um someone should get a night the golden the golden ratio is seven to eight mm-hmm. um if you can get more fantastic if yeah. you get a little bit less okay seven to eight is ideal six to eight i would say is ideal yeah. most adults i feel like are not reaching seven to eight um, I'm the exception. I'm always tired. So <laughs> I just, I, everyone who knows me knows I go to bed early and I just sleep throughout the night. It's embarrassing. Yes. I've been a granny since I was six. I love it. Um, <laughs> but ideally seven to eight, that target range would be perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. That's something I've been working on personally recently. I was definitely going down the TikTok scrolling rabbit yes. hole and, uh, you know, I teach with my clients, you know, discomfort equals growth. We know that, you know, yeah. growth mindset. So I was like, I am going to put my phone off an hour before bed. Perfect. And I'm going to start practicing meditating, even if it's five minutes. Perfect. That's that's ideal. So uh, the current literature is saying two hours before bed, you should sh- sort of wind everything down. Okay. It's 2023. Um, <laughs> uh, that's very unlikely. I love, that. Um, I love the practical like, yeah, side of things here. Yes. realistic. Because... Yes. Um, I'm not putting everything away at seven if I'm going to bed at night. It's just yeah. not going to happen. I'm not even home <laughs> at that time. Exactly. So it's just not going to happen. Yes. But it's, again, you can do things on a sliding scale. So if you're trying to aim for an hour, you're off your phone. Then one week start, if you go to bed, let's say, at, at 10, then start at 9.45, you put your phone down or you turn off the TV. See how that goes. If that feels like it's too much, nine, try 9.50. Yes. And um, and then keep going back and going back. It's not a race. Small steps, one step at a time. Yeah. 
that that is what helps you get that behavior change. Absolutely. Small steps. Yeah. And be realistic. It's so important, guys. (laughs) But yes, small steps. Don't just like all of a sudden decide you're going to meditate for an hour and, you know, like ditch your phone all together. (laughs) Because when we jump into the deep end, it's sustainable for a short amount of time. And then, as as you would know, as you would see in the, in the fitness industry and health industry, it's like someone going on a diet and they eat like a rabbit and for seven days, and then and they're like, I'm gonna go to the gym every day for two hours, and they've never done that before, and then they sort of slide and they end up engaging in the behaviors that they didn't want to engage in even more because it's like, well, you set yourself up to fail. So start small. I literally tell people, if you want to start working out. I want you to, and they want to start working out at 6 a.m. in the morning. I just want you to just one week start setting your alarm. Don't even get up. I just want you to, to hear the alarm at 6 a.m. The next week, maybe they'll sit up for five minutes. We're not even working out. Yes. I just want you just to get up. And then eventually we're going to put on some clothes and then we're going to go. But you can't just jump into the deep end expecting your brain and, and your body to just get on board. Yeah. Because then it just, that's the psychology of it. It just gets you down and you just give up and you don't want to do it anyway. Yeah. That all or nothing mindset. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I'm sure it's harmful. So all, everyone's experienced that at some point or another <laughs> yeah. in their life. I'm sure. Yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> all the time. I see it all the time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Me too. In my practice. <laughs> yeah, yes, we, we work on finding that gray area, right, and taking the baby steps. Yeah, yes. There's nothing. There, there are some people. They're like, I don't want to do baby steps. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we won't call it baby steps, but yeah. we're gonna call it sub steps or something. Whatever <laughs> yes. words you're comfortable with, but you don't want to dive head first. No. Just dip your toe in and exactly. then, like your ankle and then, you know, get comfortable. Absolutely. Testing waters. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so my last question um, mm-hmm. for this episode is if you have any advice for loved ones, I know we kind of touched on this earlier about like mm-hmm. relationships, but any advice for loved ones living with someone who has ADHD? So maybe, you know, parents or mm-hmm. a spouse or partner, yeah. um, any words of advice on how they can maybe help their loved ones of cope. course um be patient <laughs> be loving be understanding those are key yes of yes. course i it like i said i'm not i'm not oblivious um to how difficult it can be especially with younger kids um or being in a relationship with an adult with someone with adhd so at the same time you're learning your partner or your child you also need to learn yourself so you can do all those things be understanding and and loving and and just support them because you understand what they're going through but learn yourself in terms of okay when do i need a break what what do i need to make sure that you know i'm blowing off my steam and my stress particularly if you're a parent as well because if your kid is bouncing off the walls, you know, you can only have so much patience, love, and understanding before you feel like you're going to snap. So my advice is know what your capacity is and set up some sort of skills, whatever that may be for yourself, to, to blow off steam, to have your me time, to emotionally regulate yourself so that you can be that support system for that other person. That caregiver um, role that so many of us play is very hard, it's very heavy, and extremely neglected. So my advice to make sure that you are okay as well. They're okay, learn them, understand them, know that they're not trying to be difficult, they're not trying to be dismissive, they're not trying to be rude or interruptive or anything like that, but also make sure that you are getting what you need to be able to manage that at the same time. 
Absolutely. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like put on your own oxygen mask before helping yeah, others, yeah, it's you know. Literally that. Yeah. Make sure you fill up your own cup so that you can be of service to everyone else or you know, show yeah. up as your best self and yeah. be able to help them, right? Because it is exhausting. It, it is it is a lot of work. Absolutely. Um, no matter if you're a parent or a partner or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So you gotta make sure you're okay too. And so learn them, but learn you as well. Awesome. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has been amazing having you here. Thank um, you. I had you on my own personal podcast, you know, years ago, I think during COVID, we yes. did it over Zoom. So it's been so nice to sit with you in the studio. Thank you. Um, and for those of you out there, if you want to let our audience know where they can find you or contact you if they want to, you know, whether they're curious about, you know, they have ADHD or if they just want to, you know, level up their mental health. Yes, um, and I'll definitely put this in the show notes as well. But of if you want to let them know where they can find you. Of course. So we are on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Sainu.bda. Um, you can contact me on email, drberkeley at Sainu.bm. And that's P-S-Y-N-E-U, psychology, yes. neuroscience. Um, I know a lot of people are like, where did that name come from? That's what it is. Um, and if you just have any general questions, even if you're not sure if you want to come in or anyone that you know that may have that diagnosis wants to come in, you, I'm, I'm always here to answer questions. Draw me an email. It's probably easier than a phone call. Um, but I'm, I'm always here. And if you want to know more about our cognitive program, you can also email me as well. And I'll put that on social media as well. That's perfect. Yeah. And for those who aren't following her on social media, uh, Dr. Berkeley posts some really cool brain facts and tips, like things you, you. may have never thought of before. <laughs> so definitely give her a follow. Well, thanks again for Thank being here. You. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Perfect. Thank you so much You're for having welcome. me. Thank you. And that wraps up today's episode. A big thank you to our sponsor, the Lindos Group of Companies. Remember, why go anyplace else? I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's discussion. Head over to our social media pages at The Royal Gazette and at RG Megs on both Instagram and Facebook and share your insights with us. Until next time, Bermuda, stay healthy and stay inspired.